TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this Monday, October 9th edition of Hoist the Colors. It is bright and early on this Monday morning as we are going a little early due to a change in the schedule. Mike Houston's press conference with it being a Thursday night or Thursday night game is uh, now today, Monday around lunch, so during our normal broadcast time. So we're going early if you're watching our live stream. We're live on YouTube and Facebook. On radio, we are still live, of course, at 12 noon. So if you're driving around around the lunch hour, you're hearing us as normal. But excited about today's show because we not only have an East Carolina football game to preview, we got a AAC preseason poll to discuss with the Pirate basketball team being higher than expected. We'll talk about that, and we're going to talk some baseball. And to do that, we've got Scott Rogers, Scooter, in studio. How's it going, man? Doing well. Yeah, you excited to be back? Excited to be back. Excited to be back. Talk a little basketball. Yeah. Except for baseball here coming up. It's uh, starting to be crossover season. It again. is, man. And you know as well as anybody because you're involved in, in everything, whether it's working the tables or just mm-hmm. calling the games. Uh, you're doing it all as well. Uh, before we get going, man, so so any update on if you're going to be calling some, some basketball and the baseball in the, the spring, of course, yet? I have not heard anything on uh, basketball yet, but I uh, would be grateful to get the opportunity if it comes available. The people are always asking me, so I had to throw it out there right oh, yeah. away. So the, the you, you, people are a big fan of you your gotta, work. you got to make that VIP money from yeah. Hoist the Colors. The VIP, uh, I'll update the VIP Hoist the Colors uh, <laughs> chat today with the latest info there. But, uh, Scott... I, we got fall baseball going on. We'll talk about that throughout the hour. I've checked in with some sources. I've not gone out there yet to kind of see it firsthand. Uh, Clemson this weekend, they will scrimmage on Sunday. Then they go to UVA, so we'll talk about that a little later. But let's leave it some basketball, man. It's It's been a long time. Somebody asked me earlier, when's the last time East Carolina got picked this high in a preseason poll? And I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't know if it's happened in my lifetime. I'm sure it has at some point, I think. But the ECU men, we'll talk about the women, of course, as well. The preseason poll just came out before we came on the air this morning. The men are fifth out of 14 teams on the uh, the men's side for the American Athletic Conference. FAU, the preseason favorite, 11 first-place votes. Of course, they were the Final Four participant from a year ago. They make the move from Conference USA to the American. Memphis had three first-place votes. They are the second Preseason team followed by Tulane, UAB, and East Carolina. And uh, I knew ECU would have a chance to be in the top half of the league, Scott, but it's still pretty pretty unreal to see their name this high. Yeah, you know, it was a big shock when I saw it. You know, I was scrolling, waiting for it to come out, and saw that the women were picked second, and then saw the men's poll after that. And when it said fifth, I, I kind of sat back in my chair a little bit because I was so surprised at it. But print. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I would say Pirate fans and, and media and everybody has gotten used to is not seeing East Carolina that high ever. And so it just came as a complete shock. But that shows what Mike Schwartz is, is building, and it shows that this team this year has the potential to do something special. Yeah, I want to say last year they were picked right at the bottom as well. Of course, Coach Schwartz's first year. And they had basically almost a brand new roster. 
so many of those guys made progress over the course of the year. So, you know, I'm not going to say this guarantees ECU a a top half of the league finish, which would be a major step in the right direction for this program. But certainly a lot of excitement, a lot of preseason buzz for this basketball team. We're still talking about a team that, you know, finished under 500 last year, granted by a game, 16 and 17, but the 16 wins were the most, I believe, since 2013-14 when Jeff Lebo was the coach. So they made significant strides. And the biggest thing is, for me, Scooter, is they returned so many key pieces. Cason uh, Romaley, who was on our show a couple weeks ago, he works for Hoist of Colors as our basketball analyst. Me and him did a podcast where we we went through every team in the league this offseason. And really, outside of FAU, which has pretty much its entire starting lineup back in Tulane, and somewhat of UAB, there's pretty significant turnover across the board. Memphis has a ton of transfers coming in. They're just going to be loaded, as always, talent-wise. But ECU, really, and FAU, and maybe UAB are kind of the, the three schools that have a lot coming back. How much do you feel like that plays a role in this and just kind of the, the overall excitement from the fan base going into the season? I think it's a huge part, you know, especially guys like Ezra Osar and, and Brandon Johnson, those guys that have, have been in this program, especially Brandon Johnson, who's been here for now three years, and Osar, who had a terrific first year last year. But I think those two guys are going to be a key point of this. And, of course, R.J. Felton as well, who's picked second-team all-conference preseason. And that's not even mentioning the guys that Coach Schwartz brought in this year. You know, we, we hope Cam Hayes may Maybe we'll become eligible at some point during the season. But there's so many other pieces that he brought in, I think, that's going to elevate this team. And just like you said, having that experience now is something that it feels like Pirate basketball has not been able to say over the past, I would say, five or six years just because of the transfer portal really taking off and and guys leaving. You know, you look at someone like Jaden Gardner who had just kind of solidified himself here and then get up gets up and leaves and goes to UVA and not having that this year to worry about I think was a huge component of hopefully a good year coming up so Pirates preseason fifth uh, to round out the list North Texas sixth SMU seventh Wichita State eighth South Florida ninth Tulsa 10 11 is Rice Temple's 12 Charlotte 13 and UTSA at 14. So we'll see what happens. Of course, Charlotte with a coaching change really late in the offseason. We'll see how they, they fare. They're coming off a pretty good year. But Ron Sanchez going back to Virginia was a bit of a surprise. Uh, All-conference team, you mentioned it. R.J. Felton, the lone representative from East Carolina. He's the second-team selection. No Brandon Johnson, no Ezra Asar, uh, which we uh, – I've already gotten three or four tweets, no Ezra on the, the preseason team, which is a little bit of a surprise, but you look at this this group, pretty guard-heavy. Look at the, the whole first team are guards. Uh, there are three forwards on the second team. But, uh, you know, maybe his numbers last year, if you look at the raw numbers overall, not quite all-conference caliber. Now, if you just look at what he did the second half of the year in league play, he was up there, so... I think he'll get some recognition as this year goes on. But what did you make of kind of, you know, RJ being the, the only representative? You know, much like everybody, I was kind of surprised. You know, not so much Brandon Johnson, but really Ezra Osar not being on there. But as you said, you know, first part of the year last year as a freshman, didn't really play his best. But once you got into conference play, and of course that the game he had in the conference tournament that last year was unbelievable. And that kind of showed, hey, you know, this guy's going to be a, a heck of a player this year. And so... You know, you get you, you get a good start this year and continue what he did in conference play. You, I think you'll definitely see him at the end of the year this coming season. It's always crazy to me to see some of the names on the all-conference team because uh, 
several times they're transfers, Scott, but in this case you got obviously new new players coming in with new teams. Like Eric Gaines, this is the first team all conference. Eric Gaines from UAB, John L. Davis from FAU, Elijah Martin from FAU, Javon Quinterly, who's a uh, transfer from Memphis, and then Jalen Forbes from Tulane. Forbes is like the only name we recognize yeah. from uh, – it's just crazy because, like, back in the day, you would know everybody on the preseason all-conference team because they are, you know, guys that have been around. But between new teams, new players, transfers, sometimes you just never know what you're going to get. But, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier. Memphis is going to be loaded even if they have, you know, a lot of new pieces maybe that we're not familiar with. Uh, so ECU picked to finish five. And uh, before we switch to the women, this season will open November 6th. They host Ferrum. I think a D3 school will be coming to Menji's Coliseum. Outside of that, the Pirates will play a uh, pretty competitive non-conference schedule. They go to George Mason November 25th. South Carolina, December 9th, they play in Menjis. Uh, UNCW also comes to Menjis on November 30th. Then you got the, the neutral site game in Florida December 14th. What did you kind of make of the schedule when that came out a couple weeks ago, and how do you think it lines up? I thought non-conference-wise, this is one of the best non-conference schedules we've had in quite some time. You know, I thought the other day when I was – Looking at it, I said, you know, I wonder if, if ever we've played back-to-back SEC teams on yeah. in basketball, you know, because you play South Carolina and Florida back-to-back. But, you know, as you said, you still got George Mason on there, which will be a quality road game, you know, especially if they could go up and, and get a win. That would be a huge, uh, you know, win to have on your schedule with it being a road game. And, of course, with South Carolina coming here, you play the neutral side of Florida and then, UNCW coming to Greenville as well, but that's not even mentioning, you know, Campbell coming in. Campbell's been a solid program over the years as well, and so I think this is a very solid non-conference schedule. Let's look at the women now. The Pirates are preseason picked second behind South Florida out of 14 teams. Kim McNeil's team, of course, coming off the AAC tournament title. I think this is the right pick, though. I know a lot of people will say, why aren't they picked number one? For those that don't follow women's basketball, USF is a yes. juggernaut. They are legitimate. ECU did get four first-place votes, but I think this is the right call. I can't remember if it's the league or the coaches that picked this uh, picked this uh, pairing in the preseason for basketball. It may be the coaches, but I feel like ECU second is right. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, South Florida has, uh, has done a, or Jose Fernandez has done a great job as the head coach at South Florida over the years. You know, when, when UConn left a few years ago, everybody knew that South Florida would be the favorite. They were the only team that, you know, actually competed with UConn for those years when they were in the American. And so, you know, I think they're overwhelmingly the favorite, but I think that, you know, East Carolina certainly was overwhelmingly the second place finish. And, uh, you know, having two teams or two players on first team all conference with Danae McNeil and Amaya Joyner shows that those two are going to have a, a heck of a season and Danae was picked for preseason player of the year but that's not even mentioning players like Micah Dennis and and the players that coming back because this team you know returns their whole starting lineup from last year and so much like with the men this team's going to have a ton of experience coming in as well. It's just crazy that your men and women the same offseason really kind of retain all their key players. Like outside of Javon Small transferring to Oklahoma State, not really a single key player was lost between the men and women. And it's just, you know, kind of hard to fathom that in this, this age of, but I think that speaks to the culture both. Both coaches have created. Oh yeah, and you know, you look on the women's side and you know, those, those girls love Kim McNeil. I mean, that staff is 
awesome to work with. Kim McNeil is, is one of the nicest coaches you will ever meet. She's one of the easiest ones to ever deal with from a media side. But both her and her husband, Corey, have done such a great job building this program back up. And, you know, it's it's fun to have excitement for both programs going into a season. You know, I don't, I don't ever remember there being – this much excitement about both programs heading into a season in, in my lifetime. Obviously, you had the CIT year and the year after that, but you know this has been a, uh, a fun off season to follow, and especially now that we're under a month away, you know it's really starting to build up. Yeah, we we got the big football game this Thursday, but I mean, there's I've already got plenty of texts. Hey, man, when does the basketball season start? I'm sure you have as well, so people are ready. For Pirate Hoops, and then, of course, you got the new seats inside Minji's Coliseum. I saw a picture of those the other day. They look sharp, so you got new lights, so we'll finally have some good lighting in there. So it's just a lot of a lot of reasons to be excited, Scott. And, um, you know, going back to the women, Danae McNeil, like you mentioned, preseason player of the year. She was the most improved and the defensive player of the year a year ago. And then, of course, Amaya Joyner coming off the standout freshman year. They also add some really good recruits. Uh, they bring in the two transfers from Florida who should add some size in the post, as well as uh, top 100 recruit Kaya Miller who can really shoot. And we talked about it last year. They played such good defense. If they can just get any shooting, I think this is a team that can challenge for first place in the regular season, and I think they may have that. Now I'm kind of interested to see what's the balance like between offense and defense and, mm-hmm. you know, putting your best lineup on the court. Yeah, you know, as you said, there's two transfers from Florida coming in, and then Kaya Miller's going to be huge for this club. But, uh, yeah, as you said, you know, the offense was kind of the one thing that lacked from that team last year defensively. That's one thing that, you know, Kim McNeil really put an emphasis on last year, and it showed. Um, but yeah, I mean, just shooting wise, that team did not have the best of years last year and that really cost them, you know, a couple wins, especially early in the year. And of course, everybody saw the, the conference championship game oh against Houston yeah, last year where, uh, total slugfest. yes, no one could score in that game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you, there's a couple things you got to improve on and, you know, you get those in, in really in perspective and get those figured out. This team could, could really be, I would say, dominant this year. Yeah, if they can – really, I mean, they were one of the top, like, five or ten lowest percentage three-point shooting teams in the country last year. So, like, even if you just make a marginal improvement there with the defense, you're going to be really good. Uh, the women, they open their season on November 6th as well. They will start on the road at Elon. They take on a pretty tough non-conference as well. They, t- they uh, will battle Ohio State and Seton Hall. In the non-conference, uh, they also take on George Mason, South Carolina, coming to Minji's on December 30th. That'll be crazy. That'll be the non-conference finale before conference play starts. And then ECU does get South Florida both on the road and at home this year. Last year, they only played in Tampa. So um, really uh, really excited about that South Carolina game, but they have a challenging schedule as well. Yeah, they do. And, you know, that's, that's huge for South Carolina to be able to come here, and that shows, you know, that – you know they they've put themselves in a spot to the host a, yeah. a a really you know top program in the country this year and uh, you know it's gonna be fun because Menjis will be packed for that game and uh, you know just to see a, a national championship caliber program in person is always special. All right, so AAC Media Day is going on now on the basketball side. I believe Mike Oresco is talking now. We think so, at least uh, according to the conference. So D- who knows with with the uh, schedules with the American they change. You know, all the time. Daily. It's very frustrating. Yep, or by the hour in many cases. Uh, so, Oresco talking now. ECU will be represented at 12 noon with Kim McNeil 
and then 12-10 with Mike Schwartz. We're still kind of uncertain on if the players will be uh, speaking on ESPN+. Plus. This is being streamed on ESPN+, Plus, but just know that ECU will go at 12 noon. And uh, we know Ezra Asar and R.J. Felton are there for the men and Danae McNeil and Micah Dennis for the women along with the coaches. So tune in for that ESPN Plus later today. All right, let's get our first break in. We'll come back with Scott Rogers. We will talk about some football, pirate football. We'll take on SMU this Thursday night, national TV game. The betting odds are out for that. We'll discuss what the line sits at, how we're feeling about this ECU team coming off the bye. We'll also get into some NFL, as painful as it is. The Denver Broncos, my Denver Broncos lost to Joe Sampson's New York Jets, so I must address that. Of course, we'll also address it on Tuesday's show when Joe is in studio, but we'll talk about that and more on the other side. You're listening to a Monday edition of Hoist the Colors. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back to the program on this Monday. There was uh, Mike Houston welcoming us back in with a rejoiner. Just got word we are expected to have Coach Houston tonight on Inside Pirate Athletics at Tiebreakers. Uh, so we'll have that show for you, 6 to 7 p.m. We will also be joined, it looks like, by a couple of Pirate football players, Dustin Hall and Deontay Johnson. So we'll have that for you again, 6 o'clock to 7 p.m. That'll be broadcast on 94.3 The Game right here. And, of course, we'll be streamed, too, on WNCT if you want to watch the video version. So check us out tonight as we preview SMU also got the Mike Houston press conference today. That'll be at 1130. We'll talk to some players and coordinators after that as well. A little bit of a different schedule this week with the Thursday night game. All right, let's go around the room. We got Philip Pilkington producing Scott Rogers in studio. East Carolina hosting SMU this Thursday. We'll make some picks later in the week, but but how are y'all feeling about this game? Coming off a of bye week, uh, we'll start with Scott. Any, any early vibes yet? I would say I'm feeling terrible about it but could feel better if that makes sense i mean i understand <laughs> um, based on what we've seen thus far yeah i just saw a line you know i know it opened at seven yesterday and you said you know right before we got on the air that the uh line had moved up closer to 10 yeah it's been today it, it and, was down and then up it's had a lot of weird movement yeah and i know smu has not played the best this year but uh hopefully this bye week could help the Pirates and, and just kind of figure something out on that offensive side of the ball and, you know, maybe have some trickery to start that game or something. Just I think you're you're going to have to do something to create some sort of, you know, emotion or something on that offensive side to get it started. Yeah, they need some sort of spark and, you know, some sort of big play. Yeah. So you would think a trick play could work. Philip, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel better, I think, with the departure of Tank Dell and Tanner Mordecai that is a big thing for the Pirates right now. And that's no disrespect to Blake Harrell's defense, but I just don't think the Pirates can win in a shootout. So what makes me feel good is that SMU is kind of a team like East Carolina where they rely on defense, they rely on low-scoring games, and they try and let up less points than the opponent scores as opposed to scoring more points than the opponent scores. And uh, I think that plays into our hands because that's our type of team as well. So that makes me feel good. Uh, tens a lot. I definitely think the Pirates keep it than a score. I mean, I still think it's had a solid chance to win this game, but uh, yeah, 10's, 10's a little scary. I guess a lot of people were hammering the Mustangs and they saw it was only a touchdown game. How do y'all feel about the uh, the black unis, though? I think they're pretty sick. and I, I, They're not bad. Yeah, No, not bad. Wow, wow. I'm, wow. I'm just, uh, I like wearing purple, purple. and gold. That's yeah. just me. 
But, but I but I get the the marketing right. side hey. of it and everything. But I will say these are the the best looking black uniforms we've had in Much a while. Than what they've had the last three years. Where yes. It was like and the numbers are white, so you can see them from the press yeah. box. Yeah, nah, I like these black uniforms. I'm not like I'm with Scooter. I'm not like a huge fan of black, like a lot. But for the blackout game, got to wear black. Can't be like those weird high school teams that decide to do a whiteout game at home when the team's not legally allowed to wear white. You know, got to wear black uniforms in the blackout game. And I think these are definitely the best black uniforms. That's the ref coming out in Philip. Yep, yeah, <laughs> the ref. He's always no. That was me as a player. Where they're like, we're gonna have a whiteout game, and it's like, yeah, we're wearing blue, and you guys are. Wearing white, with the same color the other teams wearing. Dumb student sections. I think I, I, I like this game for ECU. How it sits coming out of the bye. Both teams obviously did have the bye, but Thursday night games. I'm usually on the just as a non-partisan watcher. I'm usually on the home underdog if there is such a situation. So I like ECU in the spot. I just worry about can ECU score enough points against SMU? I mean SMU has only given up 18 points a game, and you know they've had. A pretty challenging schedule, and they've had some easy games too. Though it's been a, a, a weird mix. They lost to Oklahoma, twenty-eight to eleven, but holding Oklahoma to twenty-eight is is respectable. They fell at TCU, thirty-four seventeen, and then in their home games, thirty-eight fourteen over Louisiana Tech, sixty-nine nothing over Prairie View A and M, and thirty-four sixteen over Charlotte. So kind of a kind of a mixed bag. You know, they've lost to the teams they should lose to, and they've beaten the teams they should beat. So I don't think this is an unwinnable game. I just worry about ECU scoring enough points. I do kind of like what you said, though. Coming out of the bye, playing at home, you, I could see ECU coming out with something new, sparking the, the you know the game that way, but then can they sustain it? That's my worry, Scott. Right, and, you know, we, we saw that against App State where they came out on that first drive and scored, and then – after that, it was just kind of a lull offensively. And yeah. so, you, like you said, you hope you don't fall into that. But I think coming out on that, you know, the first time they get the ball on Thursday night, scoring would be huge. And, you know, it's just it's going to be one of those where, you know, hopefully whoever gets the ball first wins, and hopefully that's East Carolina. But, you know, offensively, you've just got to, you just got to be able to sustain something throughout the game and not just a drive here and there. I don't know what the crowd is projected to look like right now, but usually the students do show up well for this night of the Boneyard. It looks like the weather should be pretty good last I checked. So, and really, you know, we've been to plenty of games. The student section is what makes the atmosphere mm-hmm. in many cases. So as long as they show up, hopefully they stay, but the first half I think will be pretty hype. And if there's any professors out there listening, just just give Friday off this week. Just just do it. It'll, it benefits you. You can go to the beach for the weekend yeah. early. The students can can uh what's the, what's the word i'm looking for recover, recover after yep. thursday night and it, it just for an atmosphere you know it's hopefully you know last thursday or last year on thursday night it was a good atmosphere with them doing the the night of the boneyard theme or, or whatever it's called to you know kind of celebrate the students and give them a night and so hopefully they show up again and you know obviously the record of the team is is going to hurt i would think a little bit but uh yeah, I mean, the student section, when it's packed and when it stays the whole game, that's the key thing. When it stays the whole game is is huge. Man, it's amazing just looking at every game or a lot of games around the country, like South Carolina a couple weeks ago was in a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and they've got a massive student section, and it had already cleared out. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's just a problem everywhere. Uh, William on YouTube wants to know, are there any players that I think could get more playing time out of the bye week that we may not know as much about? You know, it's, it's, it's always hard to say, William. Good question for sure. Um, I think 
defensively, they've been playing so many guys already. Offensively, a guy like Camaro Edmonds, who we saw uh, make some plays last week, and I thought even when he got in versus Rice, Scott looked good. Uh, to have like Marlon Gunn is nearing a return from injury, so he'll probably play some. It's just as hard to get all those backs more. I want to continue to see Chase Sowell more involved in the offense. He's been getting more involved, but I want him to see really see him become the number one guy. And then defensively, I've been on the Sam Danka train all year. Philip can tell you that, and uh, his snaps have gone up. So those are you know those are names we kind of already know. But they're playing so many young guys already. I don't really expect too many more to come to the mix. Any any guys you're looking at, Scooter, coming out of the bye that to maybe see a bigger role? Not really. I mean, you kind of hit on it with Chase Sewell and, and Camaro Edmonds. But, you know, I thought those guys played good at Rice. You know, and I, and I thought, you know, for the most part, the offense wasn't terrible at Rice. I mean, you had almost 400 yards of offense. They just didn't you, finish drops. Right. You, once you got inside the 30, you couldn't do anything. And that's what was so frustrating about that Rice game. And so – you know, looking ahead to this game, you know, obviously you want to score once you get into the red zone. And so you can do that. You, I would hope, have a, a good recipe for success over SMU. But yeah, I mean, Kamara Edmonds has been really fun to watch in the time that he's played this year. You mentioned Chase Soul, who had a, had a good game against Rice. But it's good to see those young guys playing meaningful snaps because that's not only good for this year, but it's really good for the future. All right, we'll get more into ECU and SMU tomorrow and later this week. Let's take a look around the American. I got to be honest, Scott. I'm looking at these standings. Look at this, just like giant column. I'm not, you know, 14 teams, no divisions. You got all these teams that have played a different amount of games. It's just, uh, there's just a lot going on here. And I know it's early in the year, and by the end of the year, we'll have a better idea of where it stands, but. I'm just not a big fan of, like, a 14-team league, uh, and this is why. Because, I mean, obviously ECU is at the bottom with an 0-1 record. You got Memphis at the top, 1-0. Five teams are 1-0. South Florida has already played three conference games along with Navy. So it's just a, I don't know, a little bit of a mess right now with this conference. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you a little bit, you know, especially, you know, when you look at someone like South Florida who's played three conference games already and East Carolina's only played one. That's just it's weird. It's, yeah, it's weird. That's the best way to put it. But yeah, I mean I think you, you clearly have the best two teams in the conference as, as Memphis and Tulane. Um, you know, I don't think there's really anybody else that's that's close to them talent level right now. And then, you know, after that, you know, obviously you have teams that are three and three and you have teams like East Carolina that's one and four, but after those two, you really anybody could you know finish anywhere. I think you know I think there's a lot of even teams out there. You know, you have teams like Charlotte who's one and four, but I think Charlotte is a, a better team than their record has shown. You know, they played Maryland, I thought pretty tough, and of course they have a uh, an, an interesting head coach and Biff Pogey. <laughs> oh Biff. Uh, and so there's a there's a lot of things and you, and you still got Navy in there. Navy is 2 and 3 right now, but the times that I've seen Navy play this year have not looked terrible. And so I think that's why, you know, other than Memphis and Tulane, you know, there's just anybody could really finish anywhere right now in the American. You got Rice just lost to UConn at home after beating ECU. Uh, UConn was previously 0-5, so don't know what happened there. I mean, watching Rice in person, I don't think they're a very good team. I mean, ECU was the better team. They just did not execute in the key moments. Temple has struggled uh, defensively and, you know, gave up a ton of points. Uh, we'll look at the, the American this past weekend real quick in a second. 
But then you got USF. They started two two and zero, and they get fifty six points to UAB. So it's just like, and that's after you giving up how many to Alabama? Seven to yeah. Alabama, yeah. Or seventeen. Like, or what's going on, man? It's just uh, it's crazy, crazy things. All right. So this the past week in the American, of course, EC was on a bye. Uh, UTSA goes to Temple. They went forty nine to thirty four. Again, Frank Harris, kind of the return and returns at the right time. He's had that turf toe injury. He lights up Temple's defense. They're a team, I think, if, if they can stay healthy to watch along with Tulane, Memphis, kind of that caliber of opponent right now. Uh, EJ Warner for Temple, five touchdowns, 472 yards in the loss. Um, Got to think he might, I don't know, hit the portal one of these years if he keeps lighting it up for a, a bad Temple team. Navy beats North Texas. Still weird to think that's an American game, 27-24, that final. UAB, 56. South Florida, 35. Rice, again, losing to UConn. Uh, despite 362 yards from JT Daniels, they fall to the Huskies, 38-31. And then FAU wins their first conference game over Tulsa, 20-17. And Tulsa was coming off a game where they just played extremely well. They had beaten Temple, 48-26. So, I don't know, man. This is uh, it's just a, it's just all over the place right now. And I guess that's that's kind of what you expect early on. But this week should provide some more clarity. Of course, you got SMU and ECU matching up on Thursday. Tulane and Memphis Friday night. That should be a great one. Temple goes to North Texas. Navy at Charlotte. FAU at South Florida. UAB at UTSA. So maybe we'll have a little more clarity this week. Yeah, you would think. And I think you know clearly the game of the week in the Americans going to be that Tulane Memphis game. And is that that's at he, Memphis, correct? Yeah, Memphis, ESPN. And so, you know, with that being a Friday night game, that's going to be interesting with the uh, crowd and everything, how that factors in, especially with it being at Memphis and not in New Orleans, I think. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, other, you know, it's, it's like you said, the Americans just all over the place right now other than Memphis and Tulane. Yeah. And even if ECU could somehow pull the upset Thursday and they get Charlotte at home, I mean, the Pirates could kind of put themselves right back in the mix. So, you just never know as uh, we'll see what happens in the American this week. All right, NFL, we'll touch on that real quick before our break. We had the big segment on Friday. Phillip uh, was talking crap to Joe Sampson. And the Jets coming to Denver and beat the Denver Broncos 31-21. My Broncos fell as uh, Russell Wilson has zero awareness. He gets sacked as they're driving for the game-winning field goal, stripped. Then they return it for touchdown. And uh, Denver 0-3 at home this year with losses to the Jets, Raiders, and Commanders. I mean, that is just disgusting. <laughs> what do you think, Philip? Yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It's like you guys have been cursed ever since you've won the Super Bowl it, or something. Really I don't know. That way. I mean, I know you had a couple rough years after you won your second one with Elway, but at least Jake Plummer took you to an AFC Championship game in 05. But – they were at least in the playoffs some of those years. Yeah. Like now they've just been I, abysmal. I don't know. I mean, right as we thought, hey, look, the defense is good. The offense is on the come up. The offense has looked better than in past years, which is a positive. The problem is the defense looks like, you know, like they're like the 25th probably best defense in the league right now. I don't have any stats in front of me, but the defense has been abysmal. And it was more than just the, the darn Miami game. Yeah. I don't know, man. I've read somewhere, like, according to. Some crazy stat, DOVA, like defensive average play, that the Broncos have the worst defense through the history of the NFL through five games, which is <laughs> it's just incredible. So Sean Payton has fixed some of the offense, and here we are. 
by the way, the Panthers might be the only team worse terrible. than they're, the they're Denver Broncos. I mean, are they going to win a game? <sighs> they're bad. That's that's bad football being played in Charlotte right now. And I've asked you, Philip, about C.J. Stroud, and if there's any buyer's regrets here, buyer's remorse, I feel like I watched a lot of C.J. Stroud yesterday. He's on one of my fantasy teams, and I'm not writing off Bryce Young yet, but I'm, I think it's getting to the point where I'm worried, man, if I'm a Panthers fan. Yeah. Just, so I have talked to some people, you know, to Doug Martin, to um, – to Steve Logan, and they're still, you know, fully behind uh, Bryce. But yeah, Stroud has definitely looked better. That's for sure. But it's one of those things, man. Quarterback is just one of those complex positions. Do you want to judge a guy on his first four or five weeks? Probably. I mean, not. Peyton threw twenty-eight interceptions this first year, and they were three and thirteen, and we saw all that, you know, turned out. And then you've had other guys can't think of off the top of my head that maybe went out there and lit it up right off the bat, and then it was terrible. I mean. Take Kyle Orton for example. I know he had played for Chicago before, but you know you guys trade for him. You start out six and zero, and then me. you know it was it was horrible. So, uh, I mean, yeah. To Scooter's point, are they going to win a lot of games this year? No, but you know, coming into the season, I thought seven was the ceiling. Anyways, I definitely don't think the ceiling's seven now. But um, of course, I still had to win in seven games. I had to starting out one and five. These first six games for them are really tough. They got Miami next week, then they go to the bye. Uh, they got some of those crappy AFC South teams on the back end who are actually looking better than we thought. But, you know, I think the bottom line is it's a building block year, and as uh, long as Bryce shows up more comfortable next year, ready to go, I think the perceivable future in this division is uncertain as to who the team's going to be, and it's there for the taking. So uh, hopefully they can, you know, get their feet wet this year and, and look better in the future. If you're really jonesing for some Thursday night football in the coming weeks, i got a real matchup for you guys. On November 9th, the Panthers will travel to the Bears. That will be a uh, Thursday night kickoff on Amazon Prime. That'll be a great one. It will be. Hey, at least our quarterback is not blaming our coach and our receivers for his failures. Like that is true. Chicago. Amazon might lose some Prime subscriptions. They might. Game. They might. That's if they brutal. didn't already lose some from having the Bears and the Commander football team, Redskins, whatever the heck they're called. How about the Bears week? getting multiple Thursday night games? It's kind of strange. I know. But it is what it is. Uh, Panthers, like you said, go to the Dolphins. Then they play the Texans and Colts and Bears all in a row. Like they got to get a win in that stretch, right? Yeah, and that's coming off a of bye week too. Because after after Miami, you got the bye week. So hopefully they regroup, get some things going. However, the Texans and the Colts, man, I will say this year they've impressed me. Not that I think they're contenders by any means, but better than I thought they'd be. And then Carolina finishes with Cowboys at Titans at Bucks at Saints. Three road games in a row. That's brutal. Falcons. Packers at Jags versus Bucks. So, I mean, not many wins there to speak of. Yeah, but, well, the uh, three road games is because the NFL invented that dumb 17th game. They've got nine road games. This that year. is true. Yeah. Um, all right, Brandon Carr says, uh, at least the throwback helmets look good. Speaking of the Denver Broncos, never was a fan of the orange jersey and orange britches. Yeah, I was I was excited about the snow-capped white helmets until I saw them, and then I was like, these really are kind of ugly. And then the team played like it. Uh, Zay Jones, by the way, got a, uh, a a beautiful touchdown catch in the London game. We were all on the Jaguars in our picks on Friday. The Jaguars ended up beating the Buffalo Bills 25 to 20, so we got that right at least. Uh, and then the game of the day, the game of the day, or it was supposed to be the game of the day, guys. Niners Cowboys just turned into an absolute rout, 42 to 10. I guess the Niners are for real, and the Cowboys are still. Not as good as we thought they were. 
or at least what Cowboys fans thought they were. So uh, there's your NFL report. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll touch on MLB playoffs. Scooter's a Braves fan, so we'll get his uh, mm. his confidence meter after a uh, loss to the Phillies in Game 1, and we'll talk about that. We'll also touch on some Pirate baseball. We'll get a report from fall uh, practice as that's going on now. Got some sources out the scene with some info there. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into the show on this Monday edition of Hoist the Colors, Monday, October 9th. It is a game week. SMU, ECU are going to be playing on Thursday night inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. We've talked football. We've talked basketball. Let's talk some baseball as well. East Carolina has had two weekends of live scrimmages inside Clark LeClaire Stadium, so the fall baseball is underway. We've got Scott Rogers here, play-by-play announcer for the baseball team. The Pirates will scrimmage Clemson this coming Sunday. That is scheduled for 1 o'clock, uh, free to the public. So come out and watch that. That will be a great game. Then they go to Virginia October 22nd. So a lot of good things we're hearing, some up and down, some – you know, it's fall baseball, Scott, so you're going to have some guys, some key guys probably not playing, specifically not pitching, like Trey Savage, uh, you know, Wyatt Shankman, Jake Hunter, some of the key guys from last year, Danny Bill, has been slow ramping up. So there's been some kind of a mixed bag as far as, uh, you know, performance, but I think that's pretty standard in the fall. So you hear anything on what's going on out there? Yeah, I mean, like you said, that, uh, you know, a lot of those bigger bigger names, I think, have kind of been not re- not necessarily shut down, but just not really used a ton in the fall. But a lot of the new guys are, are playing a lot. It seems like the two transfer pitchers, Chris Kaler and Drew Bryan, I know have gotten some good work, and both of them have looked pretty good so far in the fall. And so that's obviously good to see. For the spring coming up, just because, you know, anytime you bring in some, some arms and, you know, everybody saw what Chris Kaler did against East yeah. Carolina this past year when he was at George Washington. And so, uh, you know, I think pitching, I think, is everything that or one thing that, you know, a lot of fans are hoping it kind of takes a, a tick up, I would say, this year, or especially, you know, takes that tick up and then sustains it throughout right. the year this year. But, uh, you know, overall, and that's not saying last year that pitching was bad or anything. It was just, you know, there was a couple moments here and there that there were some some bad games, and I think if you can sustain that throughout the year, pitching again, I think would be would be really good for East Carolina. Yeah, the strikeout numbers last year were, were really good. It was just, and, and strikeout to walk was good. They would just have like one or two bad innings, mm-hmm. you know, every few every now and then that would kind of add up. Uh, I've heard good things about Ethan Norby, the younger brother of Connor Norby. Again, it's fall baseball. I'm not going to say he like any of these guys have arrived yet, but good left-hander who has really uh, pitched well, knows how to pitch, throws three to four pitches for strikes. You mentioned Drew Bryan, Chris Kaler. They're kind of the more experienced uh, transfer options. They also brought in a lefty from Seton Hall who has uh, helped out as well, Aaron Groller. He's been slowed a little bit this this fall, but I think has a chance to add some more left-handed options. Overall, a lot of lefties. Uh, Eric Ritchie's the guy who we saw come on strong second half of last year. For me, you know, you, you lose some guys at the back end of the bullpen, like Saylor, of course, you know, like Spivey, at least at the end of the year, Landon Ginn. You know, who are going to be those guys stepping up? Because I feel like Zach Root, you savage. You know, you're going to have a pretty good rotation Kaler, Drew Bryan, 
who's going to step up middle relief back into the bullpen like Richie, Jaden Winter? Those guys are key for me. Yeah, you know, those two, I think Jake Hunter is another one that is going to have to step up this year. And, you know, we saw moments from Jake Hunter this past year that were really good. It was just, you know, like I was just saying a few moments ago, how, you know, just sustaining that throughout the year is going to be huge. But, you know, I think a couple of these freshman arms are going to have to step up as well. You know, you mentioned Aaron Grohler, another one that brings some experience to the table. And, of course, that's not even mentioning someone like Danny Bill, who, you know, sucked up a lot of innings last year and had a lot of quality outings for the Pirates. But you, the one thing that's interesting about these pitchers this year is you've got starting experience that is really expanded out. Of course, you know – Trey Savage is going to be in your rotation. You know, we're, we're pretty sure I would say Chris Kaler is going to be in your rotation. And then you've got guys like Wyatt Lunsford Chinkman, who you would hope would be in your starting rotation at some point. You got Zach Root, who had a lot of starts towards the end of the year last year. And, you know, you have someone like Drew Bryan coming in who, who has a lot of experience. And so I think there's a lot of arms on this team that could potentially be in the starting rotation. And that's definitely a good thing because you can never have too many of those guys. Uh, Corey Costello, J.D. Little, two other left-handed freshmen who have impressed early in fall camp, according to some people. So I just feel like you got more lefties than normal, which has been a problem in the past. They just have not been able to go to different matchups late in game, Scooter, so that will be a good a good thing. Uh, position player-wise, Dixon Williams coming off a phenomenal uh, summer. Everybody is asking me if he's going to play third base. I I don't know if he's going to play third base. I think he'll be in the lineup somewhere. He's he's worked out in center field in a scrimmage, so he may be a guy they end up moving around a lot. Yeah, and you know you know he was a third base or not a third baseman in high school at D.H. Conley. His was mainly a second baseman there, and so. You know, he can play, you know, a lot of spots in the infield. You would think he can play the outfield a little bit. But, you know, he's definitely going to be, you know, he's not going to just walk into that third base right. role with, with Makarevich leaving. But, uh, you know, obviously Chaz Myers has, has been a name that's been playing third base, it seems like, some in the fall. Uh, Colby Wallace is a two-way guy who I've heard has had an outstanding fall so far, both defensively and offensively. And so, you know, there's going to be some competition there for that third base spot. And, uh you know, it's going to be interesting to see who is playing third base when the Pirates open up in February. But I think there's right now a lot of options there. And as you said, you know, there's so many guys on this team that can play so many different positions as well that it's going to be hard finding a spot for them both in the lineup yeah. offensively and defensively. You look at Dixon, guys like Ryan McChrystal, you know, even Cam Clonch. I mean, you just have so many of that. You know, Carter Cunningham, another kind of corner outfield, left-handed hitting type guy. You know, Luke Nowak, Bristol Carter, a newcomer. You got some freshmen who have been swinging it. You mentioned Colby Wallace. I've heard good things about Davin Whitaker as well. So you just got a lot of guys, which creates good competition. And uh, any other position players that you've heard about or just, you know, kind of battles you're really looking forward to watching as this offseason gets underway? I think first base is another one that, you know, I think everybody's kind of expecting Cam Clonch to, to start at first. But you have, you know, someone like Carter Cunningham that could step into that role. But I think, you know, overall, Cam Clonch probably will get that starting job, I would say. You know, he's I would say he's earned it over the past few years. You know, he's really he stepped in for you know, Moylan when he was out a couple games two years ago, last year when he was suspended for that, we'll call it a fiasco after right. the uh, Campbell game. And, you know, Clonch and, and Coach O talks about this a lot, how, you know, he's always thought that Cam Clonch was, was the best defensive 
the first baseman so on this too. team over the past few years. And so, you know, and we've seen him offensively, what he can do at the plate. It's just getting those consistent at-bats, whether it's, you know, with him playing first base or with him in as a DH role. But I think if Clonch is in there consistently every game, you know, that's like someone that could really take off this year. As a senior, he definitely deserves that opportunity. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll touch on MLB playoffs, get Scooter's take on the Braves. Are they cooked, or can they come back after their 0-1 start in the NLDS? We'll talk about that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors. To hoist the colors with Stephen Igo. the game. All right, welcome back into the show. We've talked ECU basketball, the preseason poll for the American coming out today. Men picked to finish fifth, women picked to finish second. We touched on that, so go back and listen to that. If you missed it, we touched on ECU SMU Thursday night game inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium, and we just talked fall baseball. Let's get our quick MLB report in before we wrap up today. The Braves and Phillies, they will play game two tonight, TBS, 6.07 Eastern first pitch, and then the Diamondbacks and Dodgers will take on one another in L.A., 9.07. So Scooter is with us. He is a Braves fan, and you're used to this, Scooter, the Phillies beating the Braves in the playoffs. So what's your confidence level at right now after the game one loss? It's not very high right now, and, you know, it's – we were talking about in the break how, you know, obviously having the lull with the wild card games after the regular season ends, and then you're having this, you play one day, you take a day off, you play, and then you take another day off. It's just, you Braves, they can't get into any kind of any kind of rhythm right now, and I think that's hurting them as well. But And, and another thing is the Phillies are just hot coming They're in. They're good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good team, and, uh, you know, obviously they've been playing very well, and, I mean, it, that play Trey Turner made the other night really solidified that game for them. And they've, they've just got so many playmakers, the, the Phillies do. I mean, you've got Turner, you've got Schwarber, you've got Alec Bohm at third base. I mean, just, they're just, they're loaded with talent. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because they finished so low in the AL, in the, or the NL East, I should say, this year. And, uh, that's a team that really should have given the Braves much more competition in the standings. Yeah. It just seemed like they were kind of, coasting the second half of the year knowing they were probably going to play the Braves in the playoffs if Mm -hmm. they took care of business in the wild card round and how much of this is mental too like they know they can go into Atlanta win and and like talking to Braves fans before the playoffs they were like the one team we don't want to see is the Phillies and I feel like unfortunately with them winning game one it just sets in even more oh yeah and and, you know now you no matter what happens tonight you know whether Atlanta wins or loses you have to go into Philly yeah. end up with a must-win situation to be able to, to have a chance of winning that series. And you know as well as anybody, as much as you hate to admit it, it's a tough place to go play. I mean, those oh, fans yeah. are crazy, man. Absolutely, you know they're you know we saw it during the wild card games how how excited they were and the atmosphere and that was with you know the Phillies you know crushing the Marlins especially in that second game where they were up so much and you know everybody was still on their feet waving those rally towels all over the place. And so it's definitely going to be a, a rocking atmosphere. That was one thing I thought that that the Braves fans really didn't have on Saturday night. You know, with there being 43,000 fans there, it just it did not have, I thought. And maybe that just because maybe it was just TV broadcast you couldn't hear, but it just didn't feel like it was a really good atmosphere. Maybe it'll change tonight. Scooter, we appreciate the time on today's program, man. Great stuff on a lot of fronts. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll be back 12 noon tomorrow on Hoist the Colors. Thanks for tuning in.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.